Beloved, if you would be so kind to turn in God's holy word to Matthew, Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. The title of the sermon this evening is The Parable of the Two Sons. By way of context, let me just bring you up to speed where we are in Matthew's gospel and what's going on in the immediate context that precedes the text before us this evening. The chief priest and the Elders, the establishment, uh, the aristocracy of the religious establishment have been questioning Jesus' authority in the temple courts. So Jesus is ministering in the temple courts, but Jesus, as he was apt to do, turns the tables on the authority figures, right, and asks them a question concerning John's baptism. Was it from heaven or was it from men? Well, the priests and elders know that they were trapped. And they answered Jesus, we don't know. (laughs) Oh, they knew, but they dared not speak it. Jesus responds, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now Jesus, continuing in his teaching ministry there in the temple, addressing the chief priests and the elders, continues to speak to them and gives this parable of the two sons. To put it simply, the doctrine taught here in the text before us can be simply summarized from James chapter 1. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So with that introduction, by way of context, let me read the text before us. Please give God's word your holy attention. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he, the first son, answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son the second son, and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They, the religious establishment, the chief priests and the Pharisees and others, they said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God Before you, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. The grass withers, the flowers fade, right? We're all cut flowers, right? Plum said that to me for the first time I ever heard it years ago, and it stuck with me, right? Our glory will fade like flowers, cut flowers, but the glory of the Lord abides forever, and his face would shine on us. Let us pray and ask him to do just that. Our Father, we come before you seeking your face, that it would shine upon us in this hour as we go before your holy word, as we've heard it read. We pray now that you would bless the exposition of it, Lord, that you would search us and try us by this very word and lead us in the way of everlasting life, that we would be hearers who hear the word and do it, 
and not deceive ourselves. For it is more blessed to obey than to offer sacrifice. So Lord, help us, we pray, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Two sons are asked by their father to go and work in the vineyard. The first son verbally refuses to do what the father asks, only to, after a period of time, reflect on his rejection and later change his mind and goes and does what the father asks. The second son, while polite, he even uses the word sir, he must have been a southerner, right? While polite and genteel and verbally compliant to his father's commands, he says, I'm not going. He will not go. Or rather, he, he says, I, sir, I will go. Excuse me. Jesus asked, which son of the father obeyed? Obviously, the first son initially refused to work in the vineyard, but in the end did what the father asked, right? At first glance, it appears that everything about these two sons is in conflict. One says he will not work, but he goes And he works, he relents, he repents, he sees that the father has asked him to do something, it's his responsibility, his duty to do what his father asked, honoring the fifth commandment. The other son says he will, right, verbally commits to it, but does not do what the father asks. This evening, before we look at the differences, let's briefly look at the similarities of the two sons before us. Both boys had the same father, both were raised in the same house. Same family, same environment, same and similar upbringings. Notice also that both were given the exact same command, go and work in the vineyard, son. The expectation of the father for both sons was the exact same. He expected obedience from the first son as well as from the second. And I thought to myself, there's a broad application, is there not here? That God expects the same of every man, woman, and child. Right? He's given one law, one standard by which all will be judged. And he calls all to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the differences between the two sons. First, the first son. The father asked him to go and work in the vineyard. The son re- responds abruptly, somewhat rudely if you will. He says, I will not. He's rebellious. He's rude. He's obstinate. The first son in the parable represents the the non-religious community in Israel, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes of verse 31, who at first, like the first son, they had no intention of obeying the father. But afterward, we read in verse 29, after a little while passed, he changed his mind. He relented and he went. He came to regret what he initially told his father. Now, we know that time does not cure all wounds, right? But it can be used by God to bring sinners to repentance. Let me illustrate this for you. Terry Johnson tells the story or tells the illustration as follows. He laments about how difficult it is to reach people between the ages of 14 and 24 with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that the gospel has a hard time being heard above the shouts of hedonism in the culture. Sadly, time has to pass. And finally, like the prodigal there in Luke 15, they come to their senses, right? Their consciences begin to bother them, and they grow to regret the folly 
of earlier decisions and their contempt for God's law. They experience, as it were, a change of heart, right? And I thought to myself, that's, that's very encouraging, right? Some of us have children who are not walking with Christ, who've heard the gospel, who've been saturated in the gospel, who've been marinating in the gospel, even in this church, who are not walking with Christ. So we continue to pray that that word that was sown will come forth and bring forth a harvest of righteousness in God's own timing. But we're told here that the first son changed his mind and went. He, he went and did what his father asked. Now, we've seen this, right? Young people grow up in the church. They drift away. Trial and heartache besets them. They taste the bitterness of sin, right? It tastes like gravel in the mouth, the proverb says. God's got their attention, right? Through trial, through suffering, he, he sanctifies it, as it were, to bring them to awaken their conscience, and they eventually come home. Well, now that Jesus has their attention of the chief priests and elders, he asked them in verse 31, which of the two sons was obedient to the father? Again, they're backed into a corner, and they answer the first son. The leaders give the right answer. In doing so, they're trapped by their own words. The point of the story is obvious. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, and so deceive yourself. You see, talk is cheap. Right? Saul talked. I've done as the Lord commanded, Samuel. No, he had not. He obeyed 99.9% of the way, and yet he left Agag, right? He left the best sheep. Leon Moore says, it's not enough to say I will. We must put our good intentions to work. To quote James again, James 2.26, faith without works is dead. Or to quote if you will, our standards, particularly the chapter on justification of all places, about how works accompanies justifying faith. Listen to Westminster 11, paragraph 2. Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Yet, it is not alone in the person justified but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but works through love. You see, that's exactly what James is saying. That's exactly what Paul says as well. Jesus in the last half of verse 31 drives it home. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. Well, who's the you? Who's the antecedent? The religious establishment, the elders, the chief priests, the representatives of the nation. Beloved, those whom the religious establishment most despises, those who do not smell the best, nor look the best, nor who can do you any favors, those whom they reject sinners, the outcast, those most quickly discarded, by the who's who, they go into the kingdom before the rulers and the chief priests. You see, it's not the healthy, Jesus has come to say, but the sick. Not the righteous, but sinners. The sense of this word before in verse 31 is not that prostitutes and tax collectors will get into the kingdom first 
And then subsequently, the priest and the religious leaders second, but rather, now listen, but rather that the prostitutes and tax collectors will get in and the religious leaders will not get in. That's how stark, that's how serious this word is. Friends, the religious establishment is like the second son who when his father asked him to go and work in the vineyard said, I go, sir. I'm ready to go. He talked a great game. But he did not go. He did not do what his father asked him to do. They're all talk. They have a form of godliness but no power. They look and sound correct, but in the end fail to do what God asked. Yet the first son, who initially refuses the father's duty and command, will get in. Look at verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors... And the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. At least the first son, he might have said no up front. But afterward, after a period of time, he came to his senses. He said, I'm going to go and do what the father has asked me to do. Because he's my father. And then Jesus gives two proofs connecting the religious leaders to the second son by their lack of belief in John's message. Look at the first proof there. You see, the first son, like the religious leaders, rejected John's message of righteousness. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. Rather than submit and obey the message that John was declaring, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They had ears, but they did not hear. They they had eyes, but they did not see. For their hearts were hardened in self-righteousness. Because they weren't like those other people over there who didn't fast or give a fourth of their offering to the Lord. John had preached, prepare the way, make his path straight, repent and flee from the wrath to come, and yet they, by and large, the establishment, Nicodemus and others withstanding, did not recognize the one to whom John pointed. Well, notice there's a second proof. Not only did they reject the message, Notice the second proof. They rejected the fruit, right? We want evidence, right? We talk about, give me some evidence. I need something empirical. I need, you know, I need a lab. Well, there's a lab. There's always a lab with our God. He always produces fruit from his word. His word falls from his mouth like the rain falls from the heaven, and it accomplishes all that he sets it out to accomplish, As the rain waters the earth, so my word waters the people. And he brings forth fruit. Notice they rejected the fruit of John's ministry in verse 32. 
you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. Notice the next sentence. And when you saw it, even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. You see, while Israel's leadership did not believe John, many sinners and outcasts did. They repented and were baptized. Gentiles of all people were coming in because Israel as a nation represented in her leadership was rejecting Yahweh. So Yahweh takes his gospel to another people, just like at Zarephath with the Gentile widow. Just like through the book of Acts. The word of God comes to the church, the visible church, where it should be received. And when it's not received, it goes over to Gilpin Court. It goes to China. It goes to Indonesia. And there's a famine in the land, in the visible church of the word of God. It's a serious and dangerous thing to listen to the word of God. To have ears, but not hear. To have eyes, and yet not see. To understand what the preacher says, and yet not obey. You see, they saw with their own eyes sinners coming to faith and repenting. And rather than join the party that heaven is throwing... When one sinner repents, heaven throws a party. There's joy, right? Those three parables there in Luke 15, right? The older lady who loses her coin. Father whose son, two sons abdicate, right? The shepherd who loses the sheep. There's joy when one sinner repents. They refused to come, though, because their hearts were hard, hardened. They were full of self-righteousness, and they would not come. Beloved, in the end, who was welcomed into the kingdom? Not who you thought. That's the scandal. It's not the religious. And let me say this. Nor is it merely sinners. It's not enough to be a sinner. Do you know that? It's not enough to have the conviction of sin and not repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, those who go to heaven, those who are the inheritors of the kingdom of God, are those who receive Jesus Christ as he comes in the gospel. John 1.12 To many as receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gives what? The right to be called children of God. You see, the doors of heaven fly open to those who know themselves to be sinners without hope save in his sovereign mercy, the very vow that you took to become a member in the visible church. To know your own righteousness as filthy rags who know they need the righteousness of an obedient son. This evening, which son are you? Well, pastor, this is All Saints Reformed Presbyterian Church. We've been here 30 years. Which son are you? 
two sons. The second son talked a good game. I will go, sir, but do not do what God commands. They project yes while living no. You can't tell on Sunday. (laughs) You just can't. They project yes while living no. They have a form of godliness but no power. Well, the good news today is, is the day is the day of salvation. Turn and believe. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. If you are like that second son. Maybe you're here tonight and up until this evening you've been saying no to God and doing no. Like the first son who initially was told his father, I will not go to work in the vineyard. Today is the day to repent and say, yes, it's not too late. You see, the first son afterward changed his mind and went. God is asking you this evening to, to change your mind, to metanoia, to repent, to turn away from self and the kingdom of self and turn to Jesus Christ. To repent of your sin and do what the Father asks, to go and work in the vineyard. Friend, there is no sin that the Father will not nor cannot forgive. How is that possible? How, how is it possible that the Father in the story can forgive sin of either the first son or the second son? How is it possible that a Pharisee can get into the kingdom of God? How is it possible that a prostitute can be welcomed home? Because there are three sons in the story. There's the first son... And there's the second son, and then there's the third son, the son who's telling the story. That's how it's possible. The one who tells it is the obedient son. You see, beloved, Christ is the only son, the batter Adam, who never told the father no, never disappointed his father. Never rebelled, never had a wicked thought enter his mind. Tempted in all ways like us except for sin. Who went to work in the Father's vineyard to secure so great a salvation for sinners like you and me. That we in grace, not to earn his favor, but because of his favor, say, yes, Father, I I delight to serve you. Oh, to know your smiling face. Oh, to have that is to have everything. And not to have it And to have all of creation is to have nothing. Oh, give me your smiling face, Father. I was just reading that today in John Newton. You need to read Newton's letters if you're not reading them. Powerful, powerful man who walked with God. He knew God. He tasted God. He he loved God. He knew that, that the love of the Father was better than life. You see, it's because of this obedient son And what this obedient son says in John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right? What is the will? Fulfill that covenant of works that Red mentioned in his prayer. To fulfill the the duty of the covenant of redemption, the pactum salutis, right? To fulfill that internal covenant within the triune God himself. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. (laughs) You see, the father is pleased in his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
Oh, beloved, aren't you thankful that you're in this beloved son? You're enveloped in his love, that the Father looks upon you in union with Jesus Christ, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, right? He is your faithful husband, your elder brother, the obedient son, the surety of your salvation, your federal head, right, the better Adam. Oh, beloved, let us be doers of the word and not hearers only, and so deceive ourselves. And as Samuel told Saul, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. May God give us grace. May he give this pastor and this preacher grace to be a faithful son. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. It is better than life. We pray that we know something of it. We've heard your word now as we come and partake of the grace exhibited and conveyed to us through your means of bread and wine as you deliver to us Jesus Christ, our Savior, as we truly and spiritually feed upon him. Meet us in the sacrament, Father, and strengthen us to work out our salvation with fear and tremblings. For it's you who work to will within us. We pray in your holy name. Amen.